Hey guys, ECRG here, back with another episode. Today I've got a very, very good question. Very, very good question that I think some other questions I've answered before or I've given my thoughts on before have kind of hinted at, but I've never really gotten into it. So this person asked a very pinpoint question that I want to get into. And as you can see by the title of this video, it is about entry level CRA salary negotiations. So this person writes in, Hey ECRG, I hope all is going well. I'm writing to you because I am in need of some guidance regarding how much to ask of a CRO for an entry-level clinical research position as a PhD candidate with some clinical research experience. I'm a biomedical science PhD candidate who will be graduating in the late summer, early fall of 2019. I am interested in pursuing a career in clinical research. My goal is to get hired as a clinical research associate at MedPace, which has its pros and cons. It would allow me to be trained for the role, thus gaining invaluable experience without having to start up as a clinical research coordinator or a CTA. They would be putting their time and effort into training me without actually making money off of me until after completing the six month training program. However, I've heard from many people that they do not pay well. The assistant dean in charge of career development at my school has said that several grads from our school have been hired there, but at lower rates compared to what our real market value is for industry positions. One graduate student got hired with her PhD without industry experience, but started off at $45,000, which appears to be similar to rates of grads with only BS degrees, if not lower. Currently, the NIH recommendation for postdocs is at 50 grand a year. The former graduate student said that I could start at $53,000 without an issue. I'm aiming toward negotiating for a salary around $55,000, even, even upwards of $60,000. However, my fear is that I would be rejected despite having some clinical trial experience and a PhD in roughly five years of oncology research experience. Several current employees from their company have stated that my experiences would be beneficial to them because their sponsors would want CRAs who have backgrounds in their respective therapeutic areas. Also having a BA, PhD helps in these negotiations. Um, so let me see, I don't, all right. Um, so basically he, they, he goes on to explain a little bit about what his PhD is in, which doesn't really pertain to my response in this video, but basically he's, he has a bio PhD, uh, cell and molecular biology. Um, this person attaches their CV also so I can understand a little bit more about their background. Again, not very much needed. I, I already know where I'm going to go with this. And, you know, they, they look to be paid about 55000 So, all right. So, unfortunately, your PhD doesn't really do much for a CRA because CRA is a position where you've got to be trained to do it. And now, however, now, however, now, however many hours you spent getting your PhD, and as much as you know about biology, you know zero about monitoring and being a CRA. So that's how a CRO or a pharmaceutical company is kind of looking at you. And you're kind of caught in this weird conundrum where you feel like just because you have that PhD piece of paper, you feel like you, should, you deserve more than someone who does not have that exact same degree. And... You know, I think I mentioned this in my email to you is I have worked with people in those entry level roles who have PhDs. You know, they have to they start at the bottom just like everyone else. But the thing about MedPace is they do offer this CRA program. Now, I've done extensive research on this 
on Glassdoor, and you can check my review of MedPace as a company too. And what you're saying is exactly right. They do like to hire people in at much lower uh, salary rates. And they also make them sign a non-compete too. Now, I have not seen one of these non-competes or have uh, read what it says in the non-compete, but basically a non-compete is making sure that you don't go leave them for a competitor because they are investing some money into you early on and they uh, want to make sure that they get a return on their investment if they're going to be doing this. And I talked before about how much I hate these non-competes and they should just uh, pay people appropriately, then they won't have to worry about uh, leaving. Um, they should know why CRAs turn over and they should do what they can to alleviate that rather than just make them sign a legal document because it leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. Um, but I will say this. So do I think that you can get over $50,000 from MedPace? Maybe. Do I think you can get $60,000 from MedPace? That's probably a hell no. Uh, just because there are so many people begging to be CRAs. I'm sure there are other people with PhDs that would take less than that to do the job. And even less than, and even more people with just bachelor's degrees or master's degree that would take whatever salary they give them. So I definitely recommend for you to uh, try and negotiate as much as you can, obviously, but take, don't make it a deal breaker uh, because there's not going to be many other opportunities out there where you can go straight from um, you know, studying to being a CRA. Uh, there's very, very few of these programs and they pop up every once in a while. Uh, sometimes they want people only with study coordinator experience, which I've talked about before is I think is the best experience you can get uh, to be, to go on to be, then be a CRA. So they have stipulations on these programs, but if you're able to go straight from being a, a PhD candidate uh, without much monitoring experience to being a monitor. That's definitely something I would strongly consider. And then after that, and after you've done your duty to MedPace, then you can jump. And actually, I'm sure there's ways that you could around the non-compete. Like if you go work for an academic center, uh, you know, the non-compete has to be reasonable. They can't make it so you can't make a living. So most, mo most likely it says you can't go work for people that do the same type of research, whether it's oncology or something. So you can go work in CNS or they're, they're saying you can't go work for another CRO. Well, then you can go work for a, a large academic institution as a monitor or you can go work for a pharmaceutical company as a monitor for a couple of years and then you can get back in the CRO game. So you've got to kind of look at the non-compete and what it says to, to know how you can uh, bet, use it to your benefit. But you're right. They are paying way under, in, uh, way, uh, way under CRA salary expectations. Because entry-level CRAs should be making almost under seven, like right under seventy thousand, um, and that's just base salary. When we're talking bonus, if you get stocks at your company, stock and options, if you get um, other perks too, your compensation should be well over seventy thousand dollars. Your total compensation should be well over seventy thousand. Um, so yeah, they def that's their game, and I've talked about this in their video. Their game is to lowball you make you sign a non-compete and then they know that you're going to be walking after that because you'll be you'll make enough you'll have enough experience to be a CRA level 2 and you should be making six figures at then why would you have that experience and still continue to only make 45,000 50,000 dollars so you should be able to double your salary if you when you leave them maybe even triple it in that first year depending um 
depending on what kind of sign-on bonus you're able to get. But yeah, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of them, honestly. Uh, you know, people talk about those tactics on Glassdoor, and you don't see that at other companies. But then again, other companies aren't necessarily hiring entry-level CRAs without any experience, too. So, but definitely, if I was in your shoes, and you had, and they offered me the position, I would definitely take it, and then figure out how to get around that non-compete six months later, a year later, because there's definitely a way. Um, and if and if the non-compete is too restrictive, uh, a judge will throw it out. But most likely, they're not going to be pursuing you with with those legal fees for only forty five thousand um, dollars. A lot of people have talked about on the blogs that you know they break non-competes all the time because they're really put in place for people that can really strongly affect the business. So these are going to be like high level executives, like VPs or some of the scientists that are working with the actual compounds and molecules, they don't want those trade secrets to go to the competitor. So that's who the non-competes are really designed for. But MedPace is probably just putting this there to scare people from, from uh, jumping ship so early because they're spending all that money on you. Um, but yeah, so when it comes to your salary negotiation, you can talk about your research experience, but it doesn't sound like it's clinical research experience, like on the clinical side. Um, you know, it may sound like, sound, it's, it kind of sounds like it's probably more bench research, which is research, but it's not clinical research. Um, you know, you've got to be trained in good clinical practice. Um, you've got to be, you've got to be trained in how clinical trials work and the clinical trial process and things of that nature. So you've got a good background, you've got a good start, but I would definitely, if given the opportunity and I was in your shoes, I would definitely take that position because it's very rare to start as a CRA without any experience. And, you know, if you're not given that position, don't hate on starting from the bottom. I know plenty of people, I know people with, with dental degrees, foreign medical doctors, PhDs. I know people who started from the bottom just like everyone else. And, you know, the way this industry works is you can start making money very quickly after a year or two years if you play your cards right, even three years. You can start making very good money very quickly. So don't think just because you have a PhD you should be making X amount when you get out. Um, you got to think kind of long term. Think two years out, three years out, five years out where you want to be, and most likely you'll you'll be able to get there. So uh, that's what I would recommend, and, and I know you kind of want to come out making money quick, uh, especially after spending all that time studying and all, the, all the, being in all those books all the time. But definitely take a step back. Uh, think, think about how hard it is to get a position in this industry in general. And you'll, you'll kind of respect the fact that you kind of have to pay your dues. You kind of have to get in regardless of the degree uh, that you hold. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it is, it is not uncommon for foreign medical doctors uh, dental students, even DOs, to want to get in this industry and be CRAs. So you're not unique in the fact that you are a person with a, a high-level graduate degree wanting to get into this industry. Um, it's very competitive. It's competitive for people of all backgrounds, and usually they all end up starting at the bottom. Unless you do another position, like... I don't know if you could do medical monitor, but you might be able to do a medical science liaison role. Um, there's 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 a couple other positions, maybe on the scientist side, where 
you could use your PhD that way and still be involved in the clinical research process for a pharmaceutical company. So don't don't just look at being a CRA because that's not really going to utilize your degree. I mean, I know people with associate's degrees that are CRAs. Um, and there, there's plenty of people with just bachelor's degrees. MPHs is common too. A few MBAs also. But you definitely don't need an advanced degree to become a CRA. So uh, I would look at, if you want to utilize your degree, I would definitely look at those roles that kind of require that. So I'd look at a research scientist or something for a pharmaceutical company too. And that probably, that typically pays a little bit better also. So I would think about that. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, I'm really glad I was able to answer this question. But when it, when it comes to, so I'll just take a second to think more generally here. So when it comes to people doing their entry-level CRA um, negotiation, it is very, very hard to jump from any position to an entry-level CRA, especially if you're doing it at a different company. Like if you're at one company and you eventually uh, apply for an entry-level CRA position at another company, it is hard to make that jump. So I wouldn't be too strict on the uh, salary salary there. Now they're going to pay you well because you work a lot as a CRA, you sacrifice a lot as a CRA because you know just the other night I got back at midnight on a on a weekend night um, on a Friday night I got back at midnight. So of course you know normal people they're out of, they're out by work four o'clock five o'clock and you have that time but I'm technically working. Um, so you, that's why they typically pay you a little bit better as a CRA and that's fine. And I think that's, that's how it should be. That's why that's part of the reason why CRAs get paid so well is because you do have to sacrifice a lot of your personal life to be a CRA. Um, but you also get a lot of freedom too. But, you know, going, going back on that point, when it, when it comes to the entry level role, I would take what they offer, definitely negotiate but I would take it because it's very easy to find another job as a CRA right after a month, two months. I mean, I hadn't even done monitoring visits yet, and I was getting emails constantly from recruiters wanting to, uh, you know, recruiting me to come to their companies. So, I mean, definitely get the experience. That's that's my message in these episodes all the time. Get the experience, and then you can figure out what to do with it later. But you've got to get that experience. So the same thing for you with your PhD, you know, later on, after you get some CRA experience, and then you combine that with your PhD, then you can command even more money than, than you're hoping for now. But you got to get that monitoring experience first, because now your PhD doesn't really mean much, because you don't know how to monitor. Um, and it's different, because, you know, you don't really, you don't really utilize PhD as a monitor. Um, you've got to be resourceful. You got to utilize a whole bunch of different things, um, you know, and especially because you're you're not really looking at the nitty gritty science like that. That's for the PIs. That's for other people. You're more so looking at data. You're more so, um, you know, training. You're teaching. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot that goes into it that you probably didn't learn at, at your PhD program or any other uh, graduate deg degree program, unless you like majored in clinical research or something like that. Um, but that's just something to think about. So thank you so much for your question again. If you have any questions, email me, eliteclinicalgroup at gmail.com. Take care, guys.